you know, guys like you and I, we get to not only be coaches, but we practice what we preach in the name of finding things out for others. So, I mean, you know, I've, I've already just been training myself for a few hours on the court, measuring different plyometric stuff. I mean, I could go on, on having, having a really good time, you know, continuing to explore and, and measure data. So you had uh, sorry, man, that's uh, the dog barking there. Interesting. Sorry. Um, you trained uh, jumping today. Yeah. So I, I did, I just finished some weight room stuff, but prior to that was doing, we did our basketball stuff and then that gets you real warmed up. And then we, we did a bunch of bounding measurements and um, I have some pretty cool progressions with that because when it comes to all out athleticism, uh, you know, we have our, our strength and our muscles and we can, we can do a lot of good things for the joints in the weight room alone. But then I've actually got some pretty cool ideas on plyometrics themselves. So that can, that can really be like the, uh, the cherry on top, not only for athleticism, but actually in terms of like bulletproofing against tendonitis and these kind of things. So super fun stuff that, that an athlete or even a non-athlete could do and can measure themselves and, and have fun with and find, find weak points. So my whole February is about vertical jump blueprint, like trying to basically someone could go in and they can find every possible way from technique to strength to range to elasticity that they are not maximizing how high they could jump so i'm having a lot of fun diving into that um on that thought tell me what you think about box jumping i hate it (laughs) oh i knew you were gonna say that i i think it's passion I well, but I'll yeah, tell you because, why. I'll tell you why. Because I'm not just trying to box, uh, bash box jumps, but it's kind of like the box jump is just another expression of power. But yeah. it's really the it's really the elasticity that guys are missing. It's the, very the easy to train. Yeah, it's very easy to train uh, to train expression of power just in the weight room alone. So box jumps is fine, but I mean anyone can get good at a box jump doesn't mean they're gonna be a world-class athlete or be protected against injury i was great at box jumps and and sucked at basketball so today i'm measuring bounding so i'm measuring how you can actually elastically rebound from one jump to the next measuring different things with your heel toe distances um so it's, it's almost like the exact opposite of box jumps yeah i saw uh a guy was in the gym the other day and he had approached me about his, his plan to increase his vertical. And I, I, I gave him ATG's contact info. He was doing box jumps and I was kind of like, well, that's, that's not the best approach. Cause I was just trying to discuss about like the landing aspect and I didn't try to get too in depth with it, but it, it is kind of funny how everyone associates, you know, the plyometric training or, the jump training immediately to a box jump, jumping up onto a height. And it's the complete opposite of that where you're, you're trying to improve your landing ability, your amortization phase. It's kind of hard to get like into the specifics of it to make someone understand. But um, it's funny how the culture has moved into that. Like box jumping is everyone's number one go-to. Oh, I'm going to increase my jump. I'm going to jump on a box. <laughs> it, but, it only uh, hurts because – it only hurts because I wasted years on that of my life, not reaching my goals, not protecting my knees. And I have a permanent dent in my shin from box jumps. Wow. Yeah. I've seen more dented and bruised shins from box jumps, back injuries from box jumps. One of the greatest jumpers in the world ruined his whole career with box jumps by, by falling on his back. Literally Fair has enough. nerve damage and hasn't jumped. And he was, he was arguably going to be the highest jumper in the world. Yeah. So, um, if box squats and box jumps is your approach to jump higher, you better hope that you do a sport that doesn't involve any movement. Like, as because as soon as you start to run into a jump or anything like that, or have to land from the jump, it's all out the window. Right. Box jumps, box jumps, and box squats 
are direct causes of knee surgery. The best thing a surgeon could do to increase business would be to get his whole community on box jumps and box squats because yeah. you think your knees are okay because they're not hurting, but then you go into your sport and now you have this freak injury. That's exactly what happened to me. Had knee pain, knee pain, knee pain. Thought I fixed my knees over the summer by doing box jumps and box squats, went into the season and then actually blew out my knee. So I've, I've lived it and I've fucking suffered from it. So I, that's why I hate them. With yeah. Them. yeah well, those, those two movements, you're, yeah, pe- I think that maybe that's why people love them so much too, is because you're basically taking all load away from the knee. Yep. So then you end up feel good in the moving. weight room. Yeah. Yep. It boosts your ego in the weight room. Yeah. But it, open, it opens you up to knee problems outside the weight room. There's nothing even wrong with a box jump or a box squat, although that's not even true because the box jump has a high chance of injury by falling and stuff like that. But if they're coached right, there's nothing wrong with a box squat or box jump. The problem is that thinking that is your training because yeah. it leads so much missing. So – I could yeah. do both of those and I could still get my same results, but I would have to do so many, I'd have to do all these other pieces. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then if I'm doing all these other pieces, I'd rather have a, a, a split squat and a seated good morning rather than a box squat. And then I'd rather have, you know, proper bounding and then actually practice dunking a basketball rather than, you know, box jumps or something like that. But very cool. you could leave the box jump on there, <laughs> but let's, di- let's dive into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we we kind of just got into a small discussion the other day about sets and reps and um what you call perfect form failure and i i like that name better than technical failure that's the name i like to use but i think i'm going to change it to the the pff the perfect form failure <laughs> that's cool um but it's a good topic to discuss because i think with our community here uh the coaches and athletes I think, you know, we really want them to understand that focusing on perfect form failure, um, technical failure, and, and not so much rep, like getting obsessed with the sets and reps is an important uh, thing to kind of initially introduce to, the, to like your clients or for the athlete themselves to kind of understand the movement. And you guys talk a lot about intent. Uh, your recent podcast that you did with ATG was about intent. Um, and I think that's where I think the focus needs to be more at the start, right? Um, so I, I, I'm pretty sure you and me are on the same page with that topic, but I do want to hear um, just some of your thoughts and protocols and, and mindset towards sets and reps in relation to perfect form failure and kind of those kind of things. Because I see your programming, I love your programming, and I see that you know sets and reps can be very open concept. Um, which I like to do as well and, and kind of leave it to the coaching to kind of create the sets and reps and structure that way. Um, but if you could just kind of touch more on that on your end, your thoughts on that, I believe there's some connection there, but I want to hear kind of like your uh, philosophies on sets, reps, failure, technical failure, those kind of things. All right. So it starts with sets and reps, right? So, all I'm looking for out of an exercise is I need an exercise to produce change. I need it to actually cause some kind of change to happen. So if say someone's a beginner, say someone's doing split squats for the first time, I've got them front foot elevated, they're using dumbbells, already off the bat, I can get more change out of high reps because their coordination and getting used to the movement is gonna prevent them from using maximal weights. So I'm gonna need more reps to actually get them to produce change. So something like four sets of 15 could be, you could put inches on someone's vertical jump with four sets of 15 on a split squat. But then as a guy gets more advanced, you could put inches, you could do 10 sets of one and make change. So it's all about how skilled a guy is at something. And that's not just with weightlifting, that's with life itself. A, to get good at the piano, it's gonna take more hours at first to get really good at it to get used to it. I mean, this is pretty much all skills. So um, it's the same way I coach guys in basketball. First, I have them get them thousands of reps on their different stuff. And then now it's as they go, it's actually less about how many hours they put in and more about 
like how intensely focused those those minutes are working on things. So as far as sets and reps, I have to address an exercise and I have to think for that given exercise, what's going to produce change. So I'm going to relate everything to ATG. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the ATG movements and let's go back and forth on different things. So that's not just me yammering, but I'll say an ATG movement. And then you give me a movement that's that I haven't listed, whether it's, you know, whatever movement you want. Right. For sure. This, this will give guys, I hate just theoretical discussion. So we want to go over real exercises with real sets and reps. And what's the second part of this conversation? Perfect form failure, meaning how do I push an exercise? Because each exercise is going to have a different way that I push it. Some I push until you actually can't hold the form. Some I push till you can't get the weight back up. Some I push till you can't control it back down. So there's, there's all these different things. So let's say we're starting with a split squat that I mentioned. So split squat, when starting out, I'm going to use higher reps so that a guy actually has to push himself. So I'll go as high as 15 and then, you know, I'll safely go as low as three reps, uh, you know, for an advanced guy. But as I'm going lower in reps, I'm probably going to increase how long of a pause it is on split squat because it's very tempting mm -hmm. to shorten the range as you go heavier. Right. When you're lighter, it's encouraging. You keep doing reps. You keep stretching deeper. So as the weights go up on split squat, I lower the reps. But as the weights go up on split squat, I increase how long the pause is at the bottom of each rep so that you're still sifting for range. So at the bottom of the rep, I want you to have time in your head to focus on contracting the back glute. And I want you to have time in your head to focus on contracting the front tibialis. So then how far do you go? How do I push this thing to failure? This one with a split squat, it's very distinct. You go down to the bottom and split squats, a lovely one to push hard because you can always kind of cheat your way back up. So if you go to the bottom of a split squat and to get out, if you have to basically uh, let your chest go forward, let your, your glute shift back too soon before you use your quad, then you know the set's over. So you don't, so split squat, you do not force a guy until he can't get the weight back up. Okay. So that, that would be very risky to do. That is also why when guys are going heavier, unless they're very seasoned, I have them go bar on front. Cause if they, if they get into a sticky spot, it's easier to launch that bar off in front of you. But imagine trying to ditch the bar off behind your shoulders. What about your back leg injury risk, right? Yeah, so I've, sure. I've, never, I've never had someone get hurt on split squats, but I never let someone push till they can't get back up. I have them push basically until they have to wiggle to get back up. So as long as you can push back up perfectly erect torso, keep going, push yourself, push yourself, but you're going to feel a rep when then you have to wiggle. You have to use some stretch reflex to kind of wiggle or, or bounce or squeeze your way back up. You can also notice in your back leg, your back leg might then, as you push with your front leg, you might then bend, you might then increase the bend of your back leg to try to assist with the back leg. So that's all that happens. That's a perfect example, actually, of perfect form failure. You keep going until you noticeably see your form change, do not continue to actual failure. Mm -hmm. So, and then if it's your first session with uh, a client or, you know, first time coaching someone through that, I think like you would be more, would you be more on the direction of getting them to that perfect form, feeling that perfect form failure rather than saying, do 10 reps. It's like you see them all of a sudden getting to 10 reps and it's easy peasy. Are you going to get them to squeeze out a few more and feel what it feels like? This is so cool. Yeah. It, it's amazing. We could practically have a podcast on each movement. <laughs> yeah. So ready? Let's take it. We're going to take a fast forward of like a year of progress for someone. Start with sets of 15 front foot elevated because even body weight, that shit's going to burn. Yeah. Right. So, so you're producing change just by doing 15 reps. You, you really can't screw up. Just do sets of 15. So, so yeah. say the guy does four sets of 15. First set body weight, second set fives, third set tens, fourth set 15s. All right. Next session, first set body weight. Always start body weight no matter how strong you ever get. Just start body weight. That's your first set. Second set tens, third set 
20s, fourth set, 25s. 25s for 15, that shit's going to burn. Now, every time on a split squat that I'm seeing that the depth is getting easy, okay, if the weight is easy, then I'm going to increase weight. If the depth is easy, I'm going to drop depth. That puts more load on the front leg too. Use only dumbbells until a guy's doing flat ground. It's right. much safer. It's a lower center of gravity. It gets them better at the movement. So, so now over time, this guy's progressing. Now, if, if a guy gets to flat ground, Jiminy Christmas, 15 reps flat ground, again, it, it really doesn't matter what weight you use, you're producing change. Once yeah. a guy can do perfect form flat ground, I don't care what weight he's using, now you can go bar on back. Now say you drop the reps to 10 reps bar on back. Now keep driving that up till the guy's getting to about two-thirds of his body weight in additional load. Now from there, now you can go bar on front for sets of five. And, and I don't mm -hmm. think you'd ever even have to change that. But for an advanced guy, if you wanted to give yourself a break, you could mix anywhere from sets of five to three to one to two to four. I think anything in that lower range is best on a split squat once you are like getting into heavier loads using a bar because split squat is wonderful for putting on muscle mass, but mm -hmm. for athleticism, we really want relative strength. So all those sets of 15 with dumbbells with front foot elevated, all those sets of 10 with bar on back on flat ground, you've already, you're already going to have like a wonderful base of hypertrophy. And now those sets of five are really going to like densify up that hypertrophy. And because of that strength, some of your other movements, some of your step-ups, some of your KOT squats, which have more eccentric focus, now those are actually going to become, because of your strength, really good at hypertrophying your legs because of the amount of weight you're going to be handling in the eccentric phase. So there's like, like you could totally use that as a guide from start to finish. Sets of 15, front foot elevated with dumbbells, working your way down over time, sets of 10 bar on back until you're getting to like two thirds of body weight. And from there switch to bar in front and you never have to go over five reps again. And you can keep working your way up. And again, the best athletes I've seen do flat ground, full pause sets of five with body weight and additional load. Those are your guys doing 40 inch standing verticals, elite, you know, Olympic level bobsled start times. You know, if you want Olympic level explosiveness, five reps, full range remember increasing the length of the pause at the bottom so you could go maybe one second pauses in the in phase one with the dumbbells front foot elevated two second pauses bar on back flat ground for 10 reps and then you could go three second pauses for five reps bar on front working up to where you're handling your own body weight additional load so there's a start to finish like insiders coaching guide on split squat that's one where you actually can use sets and reps as a guide. I would go four sets of 15, six sets of 10, and eight sets of five. And that set starts from your very first set body weight, and you just gradually work up and wait for a given session, gradually going up. You can totally, in that particular case, you can use precise sets and reps to ensure that you're getting the result. Whereas, like you said, other exercises, it's going to totally vary each movement is going to have a, a different way that you can get maximum change out of that movement while making the progress as safely as possible. Awesome. Um, so that's, that's a high volume protocol, a split squat. And I, I definitely see that uh, reasoning behind that being like, you want that change, um, you know, right out of the gate. So you get that high volume in there first. Um, now, would you, I'm going to go to the seat of good morning now because it is like, I would say the secondary kind of movement that we discuss a lot with ATG. Um, would you have the same volume kind of protocols for the seat of good morning? What kind of different, um, I guess, modifications or changes would you make to the seat of good morning given the exercise itself, the setup? Um, I, you do talk a lot about safety concerns on split squat. Like if you get stuck, and I think that would be one that our members want to hear about too, is a seated good morning. If there's like a special, you know, it's, it is, yeah, for sure. So you seated can you go good touch on that one. Yeah. Check this out. Seated good morning. Failure is when you lose your ability to hold your back straight. Right. So 
I'm going to have a guy push until his back rounds. Yeah. Not from the first rep, meaning that first rep better be perfect and the second rep better be perfect and the third rep better be perfect. I'm saying once you can't hold that arch, there's a distinct ability to arch your lower back. You're probably yeah. sitting in a chair right now. Lower down into a seat. Good morning. You can feel the ability to either be rounded or to hold the arch. We're going to go until your body cannot hold that arch. Right. So you haven't really pushed yourself as long as you're holding your arch. Yeah. Now, would that be unsafe to let your back round? Absolutely. But it's not because we train Jefferson curl. So it right. would be unsafe in that particular case to keep loading beyond what you can hold with an arch. So we would use Jefferson curl to work on the rounded position so that when we train seated good morning and we lose the arched position and go into a rounded position that you're still safe. I've done this many times and that's how I know I keep going until I cannot hold the arch in my back. Yeah. I go until I round like a, like a shitting dog. <laughs> and, you know, kinda... you'll probably, and you'll probably have sore spinal erectors the next day in a really beautiful yeah. way. The key yeah. is not to go past that point, And the key is not to neglect your Jefferson curl because you're not going to get hurt in that position if your Jefferson curl is good. So that's a really beautiful way by being good at the Jefferson curl and continuing your seated good morning until you can't hold the arch. That's, that's just going to be magical right there. But it's very important to note that from a mobility perspective, you may not even be able to get very deep on a seated good morning with an arch in your back at first. And the trick is simply to elevate your bench. You can either elevate what the bench is on. So you could put bumper plates on the floor and actually put the posts of the bench on the bumper plates, or you could put the bumper plates right on the bench, or you could stack up some other kind of padding on the bench. The point is that if you look at the angle of your torso to your thigh, the closer that angle gets, the more mobility you need. So if you can increase how high your hips are in the exercise, then when you go down, you can still get to that nice abs to bench level but your torso angle to your thigh is actually not going to be as difficult. So most beginners will need to elevate the bench on a seated good morning to even be able to get quality reps in the first place. And even with that elevation, would you, I, I've done this for a few people too, because it's almost like you want them to feel like it's almost like they're afraid to go into a deeper end range at the start. So I've even put like yoga blocks or s small blocks in front of them so they can almost feel the abdominals connect first, maintain that arch. And then would you do that too? Where it's I've done the same like thing. A, yeah. I've done the same thing. So if you want to be at it, you want to be able to get to where your thigh is parallel to the floor. So mm -hmm. for like an average height dude, your average bench is going to be perfect for that. But that takes exceptional mobility. Mm -hmm. So the first regression would be elevating the bench. If you're elevating the bench and the guy still can't get his abs down, then you would do the level three, you know, in, in regression, um, which would be then elevating the bench and elevating the spot you're trying to get your abs to. So I'll do the yeah. same thing. You, uh, you're totally on the money with that. Yeah. I think it's just having them feel that, get that feedback yep. from the abs coming into like leading with the abs. You know, I think that's crucial at the start. And it's such an interesting movement too, where it's, it's terrifying the first couple of weeks. And then it's just like a complete turnaround after you've had a chance to like, let the body adapt to it, remove the yeah. fear from your mind that what you're doing is, you know, unsafe if you were to think it is or whatever, if you, you know, get set up that way. But in terms of like sets reps on that one, now, are you staying are you staying more in a five rep, eight rep range with pauses rather than going on that 10 to 15 rep range at All the right. start even? No, here's my, here's my current philosophy on seated good morning. And, and for that matter on Jefferson curl. Okay. My personal, to me, the simpler you can get something, the better. So anything I say, there's always going to be, I always believe there's other ways to get the same job done. I'm just trying to give the simplest, most effective way to get there. So with the split squat, I gave this whole like fifth, four sets of 15, then six sets of 10, then eight sets of five split squat or a seated good morning and Jefferson curl. 
I'm saying you could work for life with just five by five and that's it. Mm-hmm. I find, I find that both of those take so much intention just to like really pull yourself into that stretch that higher reps while they can work it's tougher to actually get as deep of a stretch and to handle weight that's actually going to like pull you into that stretch right and they both were talking about like intense posterior chain now which takes a lot of nervous system so like Mm -hmm. the more back is involved like the more nervous system is involved so it takes a lot of energy and so I think a simple five by five starting with the bar on either of those actually works like pretty damn well. And again, we're talking about going to levels where we're producing change in the body by actually taking it to a point that it can't handle. So like, I feel like that's one where you could get into more trouble by doing like too many sets of it. Um, Too many reps or too many sets could just end up being too much to recover from. So even for me to this day, I'll just do a five by five on C. Good morning. So for me at that, at my level now, I weigh 80 kilos. I would do a set at 20 kilos. I would do a set. I'd then put 10 kilos each side to a set 40 kilos. Then I would put 20 kilos each side to a set of 60 kilos. Add another five kilos each side, a set of 70 kilos. And then I'd maintain that five reps at, at body weight on my fifth set. And for me, that would be done as maintenance once a week while I get my quad strength up to that level, while I get basically my ankles and my knees as strong as my hips. But for someone else that could be done twice a week to actually drive it up. But I'd still use, I wouldn't do more than five sets. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that any athlete, even with shitty genetics can get to five reps with body weight. But again, it's, it's a lot to recover from. It takes a ton of intention. You do have to make sure you don't keep going past that arch position. You may have yeah. to regress and elevate the bench. You may have to regress and elevate the bench and elevate what your belly is going towards, as you said. But it takes a lot. The more intention a guy can put into the seat of good morning, I feel like the faster he can make progress. So that's personally how I would do it. I would say to do Jefferson curl twice a week, five by five, until that starts feeling like home. And then maybe, you know, five by five until you can work up to half body weight. And then I would say to now do seated good morning once a week, Jefferson curl once a week. And for most guys that will then suffice in in order to like keep driving up those numbers, hitting each of them once a week. I feel like hitting that Jefferson curl now gives you safety to go to the seated good morning. But again, like at our gym, Jeff, the flexible trained a lot of Jefferson curl so he could handle additional body weight in load like a cupcake on Jefferson curl, but actually mm-hmm. struggled with things like seated good morning, Romanian deadlift to hold that arch position. So in his case, he wouldn't even have to use that Jefferson curl in order to, you know, safely build the seated good morning. But if we're talking about someone untrained, I'd start him with twice a week, Jefferson curl, get that, you know, to a safe level, then go once a week, seated good morning, once a week, Jefferson curl. So that would be like your your average would be using once a week, see to good morning, once a week, Jefferson curl. Your, your ultra beginner, make sure they can do Jefferson curls decently before even going to see to good morning. And then potentially your ultra advanced guy, you could, who has a really strong Jefferson curl, you could actually go twice a week, see to good morning. And they, they probably maintain their Jefferson curl just fine. Awesome. But I think that, I think that simplifies it. And when I say five by five, you know, you're really embracing the bottom position. You're trying, you're, you're, you're using so much energy to hold that arch position on the seated good morning. And then if we switch over to the Jefferson curl, cause I mentioned you could also do five by five on that in beginning stages, you're talking about using five second pauses. And then I would use that until you're doing a third of your body weight comfortably five second pauses. Then I'd get up to half body weight with three second pauses. And then you can just go down to full stretch, you know, for a second and come back up as you progress towards, you know, it depends on your goal, but I've progressed that to body weight. I don't think you have to go past half body weight, but I like to find out what's safe. And as I say, I'm doing f- f- fine with <laughs> full body weight, Jefferson curls. I mean, that's the, that's the cool thing I think about, um, kind of the things that we're doing all the time too, is we're, we're finding out what the best protocols are by experimenting with our own bodies. 
Um, and I think that's one of the cool things about what we're sharing, you know, the world, the real movement community, ATG community. Like I, I was very much proponent of the three, five rep range for the seat of good mornings when I started getting into them and moving them higher, but it just the last uh, three months I've been just playing with um, some high set, just looking for speed. Like I've applied that with the Jefferson curl too. You take these high intent mobility, uh, weighted mobility movements and you develop such a strong base. It's like, well, I'm always interested to see what kind of dynamic strength I can um, obtain with this, this movement now. So I played with that for a bit too, like kind of doing some 10 rep kind of drop sets on the seat of good morning to see what kind of power and speed I had in my range. So I don't know if you've experimented with that at I all. Too, as high as 50 on seat of good morning, 50 reps. And I liked that too. Yeah. But my, yeah, arm, my arms were numb by the end of the set <laughs> and it, you know, it takes insane mental focus. That's why, again, there are so many ways to get the result but I'm always going to try to deliver the one that I know is going to work the best. Yeah. And as you know, when you started training, see good morning, you have to put a lot of intent into it. It's not a limp exercise. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, for sure. For that reason, I find that anyone can hold that focus for a five sets of five, but more sets or more reps than that, it can be hard for them to hold that focus. For and, sure. and, and even for me, that's where I like to train it best, but that doesn't mean, you know, I, I've, I've, as I said, I've, I've gone as high as sets of 50 on Sea Good Morning. And I, th I think in that too, you... And that was with half body weight. I did that with half body weight. You got to consider these movements as high-skilled um, movements rather than just going through the motion of modification as well too, right? So you can't necessarily just have that thought process that, okay, I'll just elevate the bench until I get stronger or more mobile or... I'll just elevate my front foot until I get stronger and more mobile. It's all about that intent and that there's actually a yes. lot of skill yes. involved in the movement. So that's definitely, I think the mindset that has to occur, which is that mindset of perfect form failure. Um, the intent of the movement, it being high skilled and not just something that you're going to mindlessly move through and expect to just get better at. Yep. One that five by five. That five by five also works well on Nordics because you can focus really hard on the way down. It's hard to put that intent on the way down, but that's really structurally where you make a lot of change and on the way up is very explosive. So I think a set of 10 is like badass as a test, but five by five is very trainable. But at the same time, you get these guys, right? And we've, we've all at some point in our career been on that argument of like, five by five is great. One set of high rep is an idiot or whatever, you know, right. <laughs> but I, I like both of them. Yeah. I found that for an advanced guy, I'll be honest. I have, you know, I told you I have another podcast after this. Sometimes I overbook myself. I'm trying to get home to my wife and I got five minutes. You know what I can do in five minutes. I can do a set of like 25 Nordics and be sore for days and jump higher as a result and get insane results. So, you know, you can really, there's so many ways to get the job done. No, and I had, sure. when I did me and Connor, Connor, for anyone who doesn't know, look up at basket Barth. If you look at how tall he is and how high his head is getting to the rim, he's factually jumping higher than anyone on this planet of ours right now. So and the moves that he's doing while he's jumping. Are insane. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm with this guy. So it's not like he just had like one good day. Like people can't believe that when they see him, NBA players have never seen anyone jump higher. Even some of the other top dunkers in the world with hundreds of thousands of followers, when they come here in person, they say, I've never seen anyone jump that high because he does it like every freaking jump. The point, yeah. the point is that I got someone saying, Oh, you and basketball Barth are on this contest of high rep, you know, Nordics, but I thought knee flexion doesn't work higher than eight reps. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's all about intent and adaptation. So the thing about a Nordic, you can't look at life through a straw. You have to confront everything about a movement. And here's what's really different about a Nordic than a leg curl machine is a leg curl machine. You're under constant tension. You're not going to be able to do jack shit weight you're not going to make jack shit adaptation doing 25 reps on a hamstring curl machine. But in Nordic, you're only under tension for like freaking very little time because the top of the rep, there's no weight. And if yeah. you look at your body, 
only as you approach flat does it really get difficult. So it's really only difficult getting out of the bottom and when you come back down, resisting in the bottom. So not only are your hamstrings way stronger eccentrically, so very few people even ever go to eccentric failure on their hamstrings. You need a partner on a leg curl machine to even get a good workout. So in Nordic, you're using your full posterior chain to get up. You're cheating your way up. It's like doing an Olymp It's like doing a power clean and then after your power clean, doing an eccentric KOT squat bar on front with your power clean weight. Can you imagine the adaptation you'd cause in your quads? It's just not very practical or safe, but on a Nordic it is. So mm -hmm. we're intentionally using our full posterior chain to get up, full hip extension, but on the way down, only your knee is in contact. So you only have your knee flexion on the way down. So you're getting eccentric overload. So it's like doing insane forced reps on muscles which are so fast twitch that when you work them eccentrically, you're actually tapping in to those fast twitch reps. And it's like one giant cluster set at very high load. What mm -hmm. if you could take 90? What if there was some way to take 90% of your deadlift and do 25 reps? Can you imagine the adaptation from that? That's what I create on a Nordic because guess what? <gasps> Explode up. Now I'm totally relaxed at the top. Now I drop myself down and I have maybe half a second right at that bottom where it's really challenging. Now I'm mm -hmm. taking another break at the bottom. Boom, now I'm back up. So I have no load on my spine. I have nothing to hold in my hands. My grip isn't a limiting factor. My back isn't a limiting factor. So it's this insanely cool opportunity that you can make retarded results with one super high rep set. But on any other exercise, there may be some exceptions, but my point is that on, on almost any other exercise, it's going to be impossible to get that good of an effect from one high rep set. See the good mornings, another cool one though, because again, you know how you're kind of resting when you're like sitting there. Yeah. It's not even like a squat where you're having to like stand there. So it's like, yeah. like seated good morning. Once you get the range, you can actually create some crazy adaptation with like higher reps on a seated good morning for that same yeah. reason. It's like one, it's like one nasty cluster set, but on a deadlift, your grip, your back, everything's going to be tired. You know, it's on a squat. It's even going to be tough, even though it makes good results. Cause on a seated good morning, you only use about half the weight you can squat. If you take someone's max squat, you should be able to see a good morning, half your max squat. You should be able to split squat, half your max squat. But on the seated good morning, since you're only handling half your max squat, it's not that much weight to hold on your shoulders yet. It's actually still really high load on the muscles. So yeah, you know, that was the second exercise that came to mind where you could, as you did yourself, you created awesome results by going higher rep on a seated good morning. Um, but there you go. But there's an example that someone looking at life through a straw is going to see a high rep Nordic is set and say, eh, on knee flexion, it's a high, it's a fast, hamstrings are fast twitch. You can't go over eight reps. But meanwhile, highest jumper in the world is doing one set of 25. <laughs> the most fast twitch guy on the planet is doing one set at 25. Yeah, the but results kind of speak created, for themselves. We've also both created results with as little as one rep working one leg because now with one leg, you have your entire back and everything out of the bottom, but then you only have one leg on the way down. So the eccentric is insane. So you can do like 10 sets of one or something on a single leg Nordic and get just like awesome results. So yes, so some guys you know, we'll be on, on either side of that argument and I'm on both sides and I'm just going to apply the best I know how based on the situation. So maybe just to kind of shift into, um, I, I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on, on this protocol. Cause we, we like to use it a lot in real movement. And like, as you know, with real movement, a lot of our training is also adding ATG work in with, um, bigger kind of, uh, I guess more compounds, traditional strength stuff like squats and, and, uh, um, things like that. So one protocol that we like to use, um, like I've used for a long time, um, Keegan calls ramp loading dense strength. So ramping up to a heavy set and, uh, and then kind of predicting your volume on the outcome of the day. Um, so like, I like to use ramp loading and time as a uh, predictor of intensity. So once you get to your heavy set of the day, the work window is either 15 
20 or 25 minutes based on light, medium, heavy work. And you, you adjust numbers to stay in that rep range and do more work. I don't know, like if like you've used methods, I, I think I've seen like in the Aussie program that you wrote, you kind of had almost like a ramp loading theme um, and some movements there as well. So I just kind of wanted to hear like your perspective of a ramp loading kind of dense strength protocols or how you've used some of those methods with like even traditional movements like the, the back squat or uh, things like that. Um, I agree with it a hundred percent. And at the very minimum, I like to take a movement and go up to a really good set, as you know, and for athletes, I find that to be the most sustainable style of training. Mm -hmm. You're doing just enough to coax change. Right. While maximizing recovery. Yeah. But what you're talking about is going to produce more change. So depending on the sport and see, I train with basketball and what people don't understand about basketball players is that there is no off season at all. So right. these guys are working so hard on the court, even the off season, there's no off season. So for basketball, you could just do that, you know, ramp up to one good set the rest of your career. And that mm -hmm. would be very sustainable. But now we're talking, say we're now training a football player. And now you're actually trying to get um, in an off season. You can make more change by doing exactly what you said, ramping to a set and then using that to then put in volume. So mm -hmm. I did that the other day. I knew I had a couple days off, wasn't going to be on the basketball court. I was doing my, my bar on front KOT squat thing to parallel, you know, like, you know, that style where I like, yeah. where I only go to shin parallel. But I, I did that uh, on Monday for the first time. It yeah. actually went pretty good. Nice. It requires way more intent for sure, but yeah, and, and now when I use it takes so much intent to get up. Yeah, but, then you're, but if you just fight down, you're gonna get crazy eccentric gains. Don't mm -hmm. be surprised to see like some veins coming to your VMOs and stuff on this. I, I had veins coming through my nostrils. I think trying to oh good, <laughs> good. because yeah, that, tough. that one produces a lot of change because it's very hard with the quads to safely get a good eccentric overload. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But check this out. So in that case, I wanted to put in some volume. So instead of doing a lower rep set, I, I ramped up to just a quality set of 10 in this case. And then I tried to maintain that. And I, I didn't keep track, but I did like five or 10. You know, I probably did about seven more sets of 10 at that solid 10 rep weight, just tearing down the house. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I like ramping as a bare minimum that I know is going to work. I know someone can build their strength with that. It produces change, but you're maximizing recovery, but then based on how much recovery you can afford, heck yeah, the more quality work you can put in, the more you're going to gain faster. Yeah. So, so that's how I use that. I like ramping and I like ramping and then putting in volume and I like them both. And you have to judge what situation you're in. So for me, I'm only going to ramp on my seat of good morning, Jefferson curl, Romanian deadlifts. Cause these things I'm already at like ATG level four world-class numbers. Yeah. But then for my quad movements, I'm going to try to like stay there and put in some more volume and I'll either ramp, you know, to like a quality set and try to maintain that set or I'll ramp like even slight, you know, I'll do my low rep style ramp up and then drop a bit of weight, you know, and do, you know, do some back down sets. But the point is I don't like the concept of like, okay, your hips are strong. So now don't even do any hip training and just bring up right. your quad. But now, so I'd rather, so you can also use this to correct structural imbalance say you know that a guy's shoulder flexors are super strong but shoulder you know retractors are super weak you know internal rotator strong external rotators weak all right well you could do a ramp up to a good set of weighted dips but then you could do a ramp 
followed by volume on dumbbell external rotations. And you right. can use that to correct things without dropping out human movements that you need for whatever your given task is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stop training my hips. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'll use ramping for hips and then ramping plus volume for quads. So I think, I think you and I are on the same wavelength, but hopefully that little nuance there can give coaches an understanding of, you know, why I like both methods. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important not to just get as caught up in the sets and reps, but the intent and the movement and the quality, the perfect form failure and ensuring that you as an athlete or you as a coach are teaching people that or implementing that yourself. Um, and yeah, I like how you put the time on it. I like that because without knowing it, that's like essentially what I did is I went up to a good set of 10 on the front barbell KOT to parallel. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to keep banging out sets here until I deteriorate. So had I put a timer, you know, probably would have been like a 15 or 20 minute timer. And after, you know, about seven of those bad boys, it was like, I'm shaking a little bit. I'm losing my intention on it. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I had done a lot. I, I, I had put in plenty to produce change. So I like that of putting a timer to it because the timer comes from uh, RPE training and we, yeah. we used to use that a lot in powerlifting. So you get to that level of strength training where you have to practice strength training. You're not just trying to get strong every day. You're actually practicing and you're trying to stay at an intensity each day. So I, I still implement that with, you know, real movement, ATG style movements is ramp load and then minus maybe six or 9% of that top set. And the protocol is 15 minutes is a light intensity. 20 minutes of work is a uh, medium intensity and 25 is high intensity. So after your top set of ramp, you start the clock, you apply those rest, uh, rest to work ratios that are like one to one, whatever you do, but you stay on the five RM, you stay on the eight RM and you, you're in that window of, of intensity rather than, I guess, focusing on just five sets, but I mean, that's, that's, uh, I think it works well. Like when you get to that level that you're talking about, I like the time. I like that. Put that time cap on it. I'm going to steal that and I'm going to call it the Patrick method. Good. Uh, no, I love I'm it. <laughs> I'm totally good. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I recognize immediately that's a better way to do it than putting an arbitrary amount of sets there mm-hmm. because you don't really know what you're going to get. I think it keeps it safer. You know what I mean? It keeps it more predictable. So I love it. Hopefully I provided some good looks for real movement guys. Yeah. And, and, and this is something the community's talking a lot about. Like, you know, some of the guys in true coach will ask questions about that. And, um, we get to, you know, some of the community guys asking some questions about set rep prescriptions and, you know, form failure. And, and I think it's just important to kind of, you know, you and I had talked about it a bit there to just hear that perspective coming from each other, kind of those ideas and thoughts. It's I think going to help a lot yeah. of people out. Yep. Yeah. So I, I agree. And I have to jump off this yep. call now just because I have an appointment in seven minutes, but if guys are still listening to this point, just know like me and Lucas want to just dive right into it. We had our mm-hmm. call with Keegan two days ago and it's like, we need to be doing a weekly podcast. We need to be taking up questions. We're getting doing a weekly podcast. doesn't matter if it's a round table of all of us, or if it's just me and Lucas, Keegan and Lucas, Keegan and Mitch, Brando and me, you know, whatever, you know, me and Brando can share our favorite, like caution stories for gym owners or whatever, you know, like <laughs> that'd be a good one. Right. Like the point is that we need to be creating into it and that's what we want to do. So it wasn't necessarily convenient for our schedules, but we're just like, screw it. Let's just put it on the books. Let's just get it started. And every week, let's keep, you know, a podcast a week going out, you know, to handle things that people want to know about. So yeah. I'm glad we did it. Uh, for sure, man. And I got a really good tip with that time base. I'm, I'm you know, my, my that's, greatest. That's how I've been using your method. Like when I do my split squat and good morning work, when I get to my top set, I start a clock. And I'm either, I'm either on a light week, a medium week or a high intensity week. And I've just, I've been having some pretty sick gains, man. Like just in the last month, just 
you know, working through those time gaps. And uh, so, yeah. Love it. Love it. So, yeah, if I'll leave one last, you know, little gem for coaches is that I think the underlying best trait you can have as a coach is to really observe for yourself and be willing to change based on what you observe, not based on what you've said in the past. Your clients are not going to hold it against you for changing and clinging to something you said in the past if you're doing it in their best interest. So like I'll already be using this time method rather than I love the ramp up and then I'm going to use this time method instead of an arbitrary amount of sets. Like I'm just going to immediately take that and steal that. And then when you're hand, say you change something for a client. Oh, now we're going to do this movement. Oh, but I thought I wasn't supposed to do that or whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't apologize. Like, don't act sorry for your past mistakes. You have to understand that like everyone in business is full of mistakes. The best thing you can do, observe, don't be justifying your past decisions. I yeah. used to coach athletes on box jumps and box squats. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, like anything I could be doing right now, I've done wrong and I've made other people do. And it sounds callous to say to not apologize for it, but it's a different attitude. It's more like, you're just there for them fully. And, you know, they need to have that trust that every session they get with you, you're giving them your absolute best. And so they just start to get that trust and they're not going to mind that you changed something. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, be willing to every day. I'm still just observing. And if I see something better than what I offer now, I'm just going to absorb that. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's honestly been like the foundation of any success I've had is not justifying, you know, my past, but, you know, just in the moment observing what I observe and being willing to change and, and deliver that for my clients. hundred percent. Um, yeah, man. And listening, I've said this before to the community members, like, you know, listening to what they have to say and responding to that and, you know, hearing their ideas and their thoughts on like the things that are happening. Like that's, that's how we grow as a community. So that's awesome, Ben. Thanks for sitting down with me. Um, yes. Looking forward to doing another one here soon, man. I can't wait. I, you know, I live for this shit. So let's keep it going. Right on. All right. Thank you. <laughs>